The Hawks start hot, but finish cold against the Heat. You know, we had some good clean looks too that just didn't go late. And given the way they were shooting and the fact that they were getting to the line, you know, we needed to make some of those as well. Welcome into the Hawks Report. I'm Daniel Salerson. Lauren Williams will join the show in just a few moments. The Quinn Snyder era has gotten off to a rocky start. He falls to 1-3 as a new head coach, losing to the Heat on Monday night, 130-128. to Coming up on today's podcast, Lauren Williams chats with Deseret News reporter Sarah Todd, who covers the Jazz. She'll fill us in on what the Hawks have in store under Snyder and a whole lot more. I'll recap Monday's loss, and then we'll get to the show. But first, a quick break on the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Hawks waste a 43-point first quarter and 15-point first half lead in Monday's 130-128 loss to Miami. DeJounte Murray on what changed after the first 12 minutes. Whether it was offense, defense, uh, and they just got whatever they want. You know, you kind of said they punked us. You know, that's a physical team. That's just, you know, that grit and grind, what they have. Uh, you know, well-coached, great players. And, you know, I think they just, you know, got stops, made baskets. And you know, that's how they put it. The Hawks may be 1-3 under Coach Snyder, but Murray is seeing improvement from his squad. I think that's the key. You know, you want to get better each and every day as an, individ- as an individual, but, you know, most importantly, you know, as a unit. And, you know, I think we're doing that. You know, everybody's paying attention in film, asking questions, you know, listening to, you know, just everything that, you know, is coming from the coaches, starting with Coach Quinn on down. The game was tied with five minutes and 14 seconds left to go. Hey, Lauren, what happened after that? Yeah, Daniel, the last five minutes of Monday's game against the Heat was kind of a whirlwind of emotions, if you will. Now, the Hawks were able to get the game back under its control after giving up their lead that they had early in the game they were able to build up a 13 point lead by the end of the first quarter but Miami has kind of the Hawks' number this season in fact over the last few seasons and despite some pushes down the stretch particularly from Trey Young and DeJounte Murray as well as DeAndre Hunter the Hawks just weren't able to capitalize on some of the stops that they were able to generate and the Heat of course pulled off this win. Atlanta drops to 32-33 and 33 on the season and now sit two and a half games back of the Heat for seventh in the Eastern Conference after losing two straight in Miami. Atlanta begins another two-game mini-series in our nation's capital against the Washington Wizards. Don't forget to check out the Hawks after the game pages in the AJCE paper and online at AJC.com, which is only available if you subscribe at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. Okay, Lauren, take it away. Daniel, thank you again for that beautiful as ever recap on whatever this Hawks team is. But you know what? We have a new coach this season. Um, Well, the last part of the season. And so to get some uh, 
tea, as the kids like to say. We've got Deseret News Jazz Beat reporter Sarah Todd joining us to give us the rundown on Quinn Snyder. Sarah, welcome to the Hawks Report. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Lauren. So you were in Utah when Quinn was there. He had a lot of success with the Jazz, getting them to the postseason. So I just kind of wanted to get your take on on Quinn and, and what it is that makes him such a special coach. Yeah, I think what Hawks fans and what you are going to come to learn about Quinn is that he's incredibly intense and that he is incredibly detail oriented. One of the things that I like kind of jokingly tried to get out of him for like the last three years was how much he would sleep. And because you can tell physically by looking at him as the season wears on, as the games start mounting, as the playoffs get closer, that like the bags under his eyes get a little bit deeper. uh, The scruff on his face comes around a little bit more often, those kinds of things. And he would never tell me he wouldn't ever give me a clear answer on like how much he would sleep. He also like doesn't talk about any hobbies that he has because his hobbies are, you know, texting players, film clips at 3am. And (laughs) yeah, like, and every guy that would come through the jazz, every player Mm -hmm. would say like, he's a mad scientist. He's got a playbook (laughs) that's the size of an encyclopedia and he he just like doesn't slow down. He doesn't know how to step away from the game. And so he's just incredibly intense. And I think that because he puts so much of himself into the game, that that's something that players really respect. And even players that don't know him very long, like Daniel House Jr. last season signed with the Jazz. He was on a a couple of 10 days before he ended up signing for the rest of the season. By the end of his first 10 day, he was like, that guy puts so much of himself into the game that like, it makes me want to do my best because he he's doing it. So he, it's not like he's out here and he's not trying his hardest. And so like, I want to do the exact same thing that he does. And that kind of intensity, I think is the biggest reason that he's been so successful. Yeah. I think that's, the common theme that has kind of come out of the first, let's say, week, which is so bizarre to say that he's been the head coach of the Hawks for just a week, is that he pays so much attention to detail. DeJounte Murray talked about it um, at their first shoot around before he took over on Tuesday last week when they faced the Wizards. So how much of that intensity can, in some ways, I'm trying to phrase this as diplomatically as possible. Rub people the wrong way and maybe wear on players. Wear wear them down. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely possible. You know, and that happens sometimes. I think that there are players that we all know in the NBA that like sometimes don't get along with teammates and that becomes like a through line for them. And I think those are the same kind of players that might eventually end up being worn down by Quinn Snyder. But I think it like that separates a lot of great players from good players because the great players are the ones that can kind of manage different personalities around them. And the same can be said for coaches too, right? And Quinn is the kind of guy that will also is also very good at managing personalities. And so he 
you know, will be really tough and critical on players that can handle it. He'll try to build up other players that need a little bit more like love than tough love. And he also really cares. And so he spends time to get to know the players so that that criticism doesn't break down confidence. But players have to kind of manage personalities in the same way. And so it's kind of a two-way street, but there are going to be I think the players that don't really do well with different types of personalities, I think that those are the kind of players that will eventually, it'll feel like sandpaper coming from Quinn. (laughs) I think the other thing that that goes into is accountability, right? It's how are you able to hold yourself accountable as as a professional basketball player? And that's one of the things that the Hawks really are putting an emphasis on and one of the reasons that they went out and got Quinn. So in your observations, what is Quinn's uh, method of holding people accountable and making sure that they're doing everything that they're supposed to do? Yeah, I think that he really rewards hard work. I don't know that I've seen too often. There's only been a, a couple of times where I've seen him kind of diminish someone's role. But I think there's a difference between like some one person's role on a team being diminished versus somebody else's role on a team being heightened. And he he's the kind of guy that like will lift up someone for their hard work. Um, and we saw that with someone that you guys know is Trent Forrest. Yeah. Um, Quinn loves Trent and he absolutely loved how much work he would put in. And, and that ended up giving Trent a weirdly large role on a Utah Jazz team that had a lot of really good players. And Trent stepped in, I mean, on a two-way deal and, you know, spending time in the G League. He was he was playing real minutes for the Jazz and real minutes in important situations. And that was also during a time when, like, Trent had some offensive flaws that you couldn't just, like, you can't really get around the fact that he's a point guard that, like, doesn't have a consistent shot, and that's a problem. But because of the work and the time that he put into his game, Quinn wanted to reward that, and so he found ways to use him. For sure. And it sounds like, again, that goes to or speaks to Quinn's methodology or background as a player development guy the Hawks have you know a couple of young guys that fans absolutely want to see more of and you know in one of our first interviews with him at at practice he talked about creating healthy competition so you know we want to see more of AJ Griffin and and Jalen Johnson just because of how much the Hawks talk about needing them so what can fans expect from from Quinn as he kind of tries to develop those young guys. The Hawks still have one first round pick next season. So we can, you know, anticipate that they're going to use that because they don't have it for the next three drafts after this or may not have it for the next three drafts after this season. So how can how can fans expect to see Quinn develop some of these guys, even some of their young veterans? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to lie or sugarcoat it. Quinn can be really rigid with his rotations. That's what we saw a lot of in the last three years with him in Utah. And some of that, I think, was specific to Utah's situation. And so I'm not sure if that's going to be different in Atlanta. I think part of what we saw in Utah was that he was kind of unwilling to try out some new things or give a large opportunity to some of the young players because the Jazz were on kind of a tight schedule. It was like, we've got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and we're 
we want to win a championship. It was like they knew that the time was going to run out on that team if they didn't really go for it. And so I think that based on the personnel that the Jazz had and based on the timeline that they were kind of working with, I don't think he was really given much latitude. But also he really had like a vision of how it was going to work and he just like grabbed onto that and didn't want to let go too much. So with the Hawks, I'm actually interested in seeing if, because I know that he has been kind of given a little bit more of a voice with the front office, if he has sort of some decision-making power with that team, if it gives him a feeling of like, well, we've got more time because I can massage the roster if need be. And so if that kind of gives a little bit more of a window for him to change up rotations and give guys opportunities. I, I don't think that anyone in Utah would would have gone into this season saying, oh yeah, Quinn Snyder is going to let the young guys play and like compete yeah. it out during regular games. That's not that's not what they've seen the last few years. For sure. And I think it speaks to, um, you know, that the, the Hawks have an interesting timeline right now as well, right? Yeah. Uh, with pivoting away from, you know, the previous coaching regime that they had and now bringing Quinn Snyder in, it kind of resets things a little bit because you can't have the same expectation of them being a playoff contender um, this season at, at the very least, right. when you bring in a new guy who can't make wholesale changes with less than 20 games in the season or at that at the time that they brought him in, they only had 21 games left in the season. So it's it's going to be interesting. And as you mentioned, how much of a voice he will have in in personnel decisions. It doesn't seem like he'll have a specific title of being the guy that's right. building the roster. But it seems like he he also said himself when I did a one on one with him that, you know, he's just interested in the coaching. So, again, it'll be interesting to see how much, you know, guys like Landry Fields and Kyle Korver, who we know aren't exactly the most experienced yeah. when it comes to running a basketball team, how much they might turn to him for some input on on what he's looking for to build a championship caliber team. So in that regard. I'm curious to see what your opinion is on him getting the Jazz to the postseason several years in a row, but they just couldn't quite get over that hump. What was the challenge for them in struggling to get over said hump? Yeah, I think that there was a couple of things, and I and I don't necessarily think that it was Quinn's fault that they couldn't okay. kind of break through the second round of the playoffs. The, the Jazz just didn't have the depth to be okay. and to make a deep run. You know, I think that their absolute best chance was a couple of years ago when they lost to the Clippers in the second round. And I mean, and that year they were dealing with really heavy injuries. Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley were both injured during the playoffs. I mean, Donovan was injured to the point that like he was, I mean, he was not just injured, he was in pain. Oh, and gosh. yeah, so he was dealing with like a really, high-grade ankle sprain during the playoffs. Um, by the end of the last game, Rudy Gobert had also, like, bruised his tailbone. And so, like, everyone was bumped up and hurt. But also, they were playing basically a seven-man rotation into the postseason. And they were going against a Clippers team that Ty Lue was coaching where he was ready to throw out, like, any one of 11 or 12 guys. Like, he was just throwing... 
everything. It was like the kitchen sink, throwing things at the wall and just seeing what stuck. And I think that he he got out coached not in the sense that he wasn't coaching well. He got out coached because the coach he was going against had more to work with. And I just don't think that the Jazz really ever had enough depth. I mean, if we look back to like the bubble season, you had guys like Juwan Morgan playing playoff minutes and probably no one knows who that is. And there's, that's the reason it didn't work, right? Like if you've got yeah. basically like G league or fringe NBA talent playing actual real playoff minutes like that, that's not going to bode well against, you know, the Denver nuggets with Jokic and Jamal Murray. Right. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And I think what's interesting is the Hawks are in a situation now where they've mortgaged a lot of their future. So you have to wonder how much depth they'll be able to give Quinn after, you know, not not necessarily this season, but after next season. Or at least this offseason, they're kind of in a weird situation where they have to make a decision on what they're going to do with a lot of these guys who have you know, taken up a lot of that cap space. Um, you know, we've seen John Collins continue to be in the trade rumors. And one of the things that's stopping him from being moved to a different team is that contract. And so, again, like I mentioned, they have their first round pick this season or this offseason, but then they don't have any for the the rest of the upcoming drafts up until I believe, what is it, 2026, 2027? Daniel, can you look that up really fast? Thank you. So they're not going to be able to sign a lot of guys, young guys in particular, to cheap Ross or cheap contracts because they're paying these guys a lot of money. So how is Quinn able to, I guess, navigate having not a lot of depth? I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit in the playoffs, but he's in a unique situation this year where he has the depth. But coming up, that might be a question mark, a huge question mark. Yeah, I mean kind of knowing Quinn's personality a little bit and I know that like no one would probably say this publicly so this is just me like speculating quite a bit but yeah. I feel pretty good in it um <laughs> that it's hard for me to imagine Quinn having accepted this job without I mean first of all definitely without having a, that conversation and secondly like I don't think that Trey Young's future in Atlanta is cemented because I think that, I mean, obviously, like, what he takes up on the team is the most, right? And so moving forward, I think that if Quinn's coming in for, like, the last 20 games of a season, it's hard for me to imagine any coach sitting down with ownership and with the front office and being told like, this is the team you have. This is what you're working with. Will you be our coach? I'd be like, okay, well, that's, that's not a lot of wiggle room. Like, what am I supposed to do moving forward? What I imagine probably happened is like, come in for the last 20 games and then let's talk after that and see what can be moved. And like, everything's on the table. And so I think that he probably took the job knowing that like nothing is off the table for discussion like moving Trey Young is probably something that like will be considered and I think that anybody looking at the Hawks roster would have to think that because like if you have no moves to make for the future and if you have like a depletion of future assets 
the best way to get those back are the biggest moves that you can make. Okay. So I think we've all we've all kind of talked and touched on it a little bit, but you just touched on it a bit too with with Trey and obviously his reputation of, you know, not being able to professionally get along with two head coaches in the last few seasons has put a little bit of a dent in his reputation. But I think this is a a key moment for him as well to show that he's maturing professionally and can work with a new voice, especially because, as you said, there's no, how do we put it, motivation for the Hawks to move through another head coach if their star guard can't get along with him. So I'm I'm very optimistic that that Trey will do everything it takes to make sure that he has that right professional relationship with coaches. And from everything I've observed so far, I guess it's, you know, it's still the honeymoon phase, but he's, he's really taking in everything that Quinn is looking to teach. And, you know, as we mentioned, he can't make a lot of wholesale changes this season just because of the time frame that they have. But what kind of small stamps can we see Quinn kind of put on this team as as they move through the rest of this season? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if there will be like necessarily large Quinn Snyder stamps. I mean, if, I think that I think that the majority of the stamps that you would probably see are in kind of smaller details, right? Like the way we talked about, you know, his his playbook and his attention to the details his sort of mad scientist approach and so like really effective ATOs and getting guys to play in late game situations with a really set plan rather than in sort of any chaotic nature I think that those are the kind of things that will sort of immediately shine through and show up but I do think that Quinn is going to approach this like very methodically. methodically and I think that that's going to you know like he took a job with 20 season with 20 games yeah. left in the season right and so mm-hmm. like watching and evaluating is the biggest part of this stretch for him and i think that you know there's no way that he took this job without being told like hey just tell us what you see after the first 20 games and then we'll and so you know i think that it's going to be a lot of wait and see for Hawks fans as far as Quinn is concerned. And as far as some of the bigger bigger changes, uh, a lot of the guys that are on this coaching staff, they do still technically have one year on their contracts, you know, after they extended Nate McMillan um, following that Eastern Conference run. But I'm curious, as far as what you're hearing from some of the guys that Quinn Snyder left behind when he resigned from that Utah Jazz head coaching role, how many of them do you anticipate maybe coming to Atlanta or what have you heard as far as conversations that they might be having with Quinn or anything like that? I haven't heard anything specific about, I mean, what we're talking about is, you know, Quinn trying to poach some coaches, right? <laughs> so yeah, I, right. I haven't heard anything necessarily like that. And kind of the, the top guys that would probably be in the conversation that are still in Utah would probably be Alex Jensen, Brian Bailey, Irv Roland. And, you know, I think it's totally possible that a couple of those guys might be willing to move on and go somewhere else. It just depends on kind of the situation that they're in. And uh, I know that some of them, their contracts do end after this season. And so 
that would be like an interesting wrinkle. That being said, you know, Alex Jensen was Quinn's kind of right-hand guy for a long time here in Utah. But he also is very, very established in Utah. He has been in Utah for a very long time. He's got a wife and kids and family here. And so, you know, he interviewed for the Jazz's head coaching position and then decided to still stay on Will Hardy's staff Staff. when Will Hardy became the head coach of the Jazz. And so I wonder if he would actually be willing to leave Utah. I'm not for another assistant position. You know, I'm not sure if that would actually happen. Yeah, that's a very fair assessment. And a lot of fans have wondered, uh, you know, Quinn talks about Joe Prunty here in Atlanta, who, who was Nate's top assistant. And, you know, the job that he's been doing with kind of helping to, uh, you know, get Quinn acquainted to the Atlanta system. And he's worked with a lot of head coaches. I mean, he was in Milwaukee with Jason Kidd. Again, he was here in Atlanta with Nate and he's had a very long resume and the guys love him here. <laughs> yeah. And there's the guys love that, him right? Here. Like exactly. There's, there's value in having carryover because if, you know, if Quinn came in with an entirely new staff for the last 20 games of a season, I feel like that would disrupt things a little bit too much. For and sure. So having a little bit of a buffer there to help a transition can be mm-hmm. a good thing. Even for another year, maybe. Right. So, Sarah, this has been a very enlightening uh, conversation, but I'm, I'm c- kind of curious. The last question I have for you is as far as what Quinn has learned from his time in Utah and, and now going into a new situation in Atlanta, what can we expect that he's learned from that experience in Utah that might help him be an even better coach here in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are wondering, you know, how he's going to deal with Trey Young, right? And I think that that's kind of a big topic. And, you know, he coached Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, two guys who went from, you know, mid or late first round picks to eventually like burgeoning superstars in the NBA. And so he knows how to deal with kind of that. He knows how to coach stars and he knows how to deal with situations that may arise because of that. I don't think that like, I think it's a little bit of a different situation when you're kind of coaching a a group of role players or building up and he, he's gone through all of that. Like he, he was coaching teams that didn't have a star. He was de- helping develop Donovan and Rudy Gobert. And then he was also their coach when they, I mean, Donovan has a signature shoe and is, you know, now an all-star starter. Like that's the kind of player that he was. And, and those players loved him. Those players were willing to do a lot of things for him and stood by him even up until Quinn left the Jazz. I mean, they they were still endorsing him as wanting to play for him. And so I think that's a really good sign. Yeah, I think I think that he learned a lot about how to coach players through different parts of their career. And I think that that can be really helpful. Well, we can't wait to see how everything unfolds in Atlanta. I mean, by all accounts, the early returns of Quinn Snyder have been good. Granted, they're one and two in his first three games as Hawks head coach. But again, he's operating with a system that was already in place beforehand, and he's just in the evaluation period. So it's hard to anticipate that even despite what the team has publicly said about trying to break into the sixth seed, that they realistically believe that they can they can break through that, that play-in 
line. But Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your thoughts and your experiences um, and observations on Clint Snyder. And I'm sure you'll be excited to see how everything continues to unfold. Yeah, I can't wait for another fan base to see the many faces of Quinn Snyder. <laughs> Tell us, where can the fans find you as if they want to continue uh, reading about the jazz? And, and maybe if you, um, you know, when you guys come over here and cover the Hawks, they can they can read about that. Where can they find you? You can find me on all the socials at NBA Sarah, and you can read my stuff at Deseret.com. That's D-E-S-E-R-E-T.com. Beautiful. All right, Sarah, until next time. Thanks. All right. Thanks again to Sarah. We're really grateful for her time and sharing her insight on Quinn Snyder. And we still have some stuff to get to in the show. Until then, this is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I wanted to take this time to thank everyone who subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com. You guys are what make all of this possible. If you haven't joined our community yet, we do have a special deal available right now for listeners of this podcast. You can get unlimited digital access to everything that AJC has to offer for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's all of our stories on the AJC, our e-paper, and all of our newsletters, just like Bradley's Buzz from our legendary columnist, Mark Bradley. That's just 99 cents for the next six months. So you can take advantage of this offer by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. All right, Daniel, we don't do this very often, but when we do, we like to enjoy this music. What time is it, Daniel? It's time for the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. Time for the mailbag. Thanks, Thanks to everyone for sending some questions to Lauren. You can follow her on Twitter. At Williams Lauren L. We have a couple questions for you, Lauren. We'll start with this is an interesting one. This is from at IMDJ Yogi. Why don't NBA teams practice more? But you hear retired vets talk about how much free time they had. Yeah, I'm just going to go off of kind of the schedule that we have, or at least that I've been following a bit. And when you factor in all of the travel, it's kind of hard sometimes to. F- put in travel or excuse me, practice time in the schedule, right? Um, especially on days when you have back to backs, there, there are also rules from the NBA regarding like how much time players can be available for practice and everything like that. So definitely whenever teams have back to backs in place, you have to factor in an extra day, a day off because they've been 
playing two games straight or two games back to back. And that's a lot. That's a lot of energy. So it's it's definitely interesting to see how much time teams practice, but it, it makes sense when you're at the NBA when most of the time you're just kind of going over some schematic things. But yeah, that's the best I can answer that question. Daniel, from your time covering the Pelicans, I think you covered the Pelicans for what, 10 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your experience in why NBA teams don't practice so much? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously load management now and resting legs is has become a big part of of the NBA. And now you're starting to see some players talk about, well, we're not practicing much and there's more injuries to that. So I think there's a fine balance of when the practice and when the not. But you're right. I mean, back to backs were automatically the next day. It was an off day. I mean, the Pelicans would practice, I think, like a normal team. They'd have even if they did practice, some of it would be film weights and then get on the court do some light work and then that'd be done with practice just depending on the schedule Mm -hmm. sometimes they're playing three games a week sometimes they're playing four when it was four you know Mm -hmm. that changes how often you practice um but there was definitely you know some form of of whether it was again film or and you know sometimes Mm -hmm. a practice labeled as a practice would be just an entire film session and weights so Mm -hmm. i think it just depends on the coach but it is definitely Mm -hmm. been limited there would be some times where in a two-week span, they'd only practice for a couple times just because of the schedule. You have to consider traveling, too. I mean, when New Orleans being kind of right in the middle and they're a Western Conference team, they're having to travel mm-hmm. to the West Coast so much more because they play those teams more than, say, the Hawks, who basically took out their entire West Coast in, in two trips, um, mm-hmm. doing the California trip once and then taking uh, a route to the other teams afterwards. So I think it just kind of depends on on the team, the situation, the coach and, and the players you have with young players, you might be able to practice more. Um, and, and even DeJounte talked about it last week. Yeah. And even DeJounte talked about how good those two practices were last week for, with Quinn for when they had a couple of days off. So it just depends on the coach and the team and, and how they value practices compared to keeping them off their feet and, and Mm -hmm. watching film and and, teaching through film. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the other key thing is just sometimes they're playing a lot, as Daniel touched on a little bit, is they're playing a lot of games in a very small span. Sometimes they're playing eight games in in nine days. Sometimes they're playing eight games in 10 days. And you just have to factor in the health of the team and, and where it is and how much energy they've expended. So it just it's a very much a feel based on what the schedule, I think, think gives. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of three day, three games and four nights, so you're not practicing on that in-between day, and you're not practicing the day after. And then you might have another game after that. So it just depends, like you mentioned, on the schedule. But the schedule, they've been trying to eliminate more back-to-backs each year. I think the NBA's done a good job with that. Thank you for the question. The next one, and the last one for you, Lauren, Lemon Pepper Wet Beats talks about Tony Wrestler kind of making the media rounds last week. But I wouldn't kind of change the question up a little bit and ask you about your conversation with Tony that you can read on AJC.com and kind of what did you learn from him uh, during the interview? Yeah, I think it was very interesting, the timing of Tony deciding to speak with all of us. I remember when Travis Schlenk initially stepped back, I immediately put in a response or a request to to meet with Tony and, and talk and ask questions. And you know, we saw that he acknowledged in some cases, I, I didn't have this in my Q&A, but he acknowledged that he should not have waited as long to 
talk to us and answer our questions because it opened up more or created more questions or allowed people to fill in the blanks, so to speak, with what was going on. But I think as an owner, you have to realize that when you make a huge change in a season, that questions are going to come up. You know, the, the timing of Travis stepping back was very strange. So yes, I'm glad that he acknowledges that he needed to speak to us to, you know, clear the air or clear whatever questions that we we had about the timing. Of course, what his answers would have been, that's a different, that's a different story, but at least he would have had his say in in everything that was going on. And obviously this this front office has had a lot going on. And so when we ask questions about the timing, then moving on from Nate, what the continued vision of the the team is, you have to wonder if Tony will play a, a bigger role in that. And that was one of the questions that I did ask. And he said that his job is to challenge some of the decision-making. Um, his job is to find the best people for those roles. But he, at least in our interview, said that he does not have a voice or he he's not a decision maker in basketball personnel decisions. So time will tell and, and show how much his voice is a part of that um, and how much he is going to challenge, as he said, some of the decisions that Landry Fields and, and Kyle Korver and the rest of that basketball operations staff are going to make. And the other thing that I asked about is how much of a voice his son Nick Ressler will have in in decision making and so he said that Nick is in the room. He said that he's proud of his son, as you would hope a father would say. But he said that, you know, Nick is not a decision maker. Again, it goes back to my previous statement. Time will tell how how much that of that is true, especially because he is the owner's son. Um, you have to wonder how much people might put weight, how much weight people might put on his voice or his opinions and everything like that. So I'm not going to lie. I came away from, you know, my interview with Tony Ressler feeling, you know, okay, I'm glad that you said your piece, but I'm still a very, I'm still a little bit skeptical about, you know, some of his answers and, and we'll see. Um, I think it's a, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit in the Snyder uh, talk with Sarah Todd, but it's a time will tell situation. And, um, yeah, we'll see. When once once the decisions he once he stops agreeing with the decisions, that's when we will see how much challenging he'll do and and where he stands in in all of this. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I appreciate that. Appreciate the questions. And again, if you haven't read the Q and A with Tony, definitely recommend it by logging on to ajc.com. And if you want to tweet Lauren some questions, doesn't have to be just right before we tape all week long. You can send her uh, at Williams Lauren L in order to send in your questions. Or Lauren, how can they also find your email uh, if they want to email you, if you want to give that out so folks can uh, email you questions? Absolutely. I would love for them to send me emails at lauren.williams at ajc.com. All right. And that is your mailbag for this week. I'll send it back to you, Lauren. Awesome. So Daniel, I think that the Hawks are in quite an interesting position as always. <laughs> They're back to 500. So when we look ahead and look at the standings of, of what this team is, 
how confident are you that they can continue to make a run and and nab that sixth seed? In the sixth seed, I'm not too confident that they'll get there. I think it's too tough of a hill to climb when it comes to that because as we were recording, uh, they are four games back of Brooklyn. Again, those will change throughout the next couple of days here. So I think that's going to be really tough. I know Brooklyn just traded Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but I think folks forget the players that they were able to get in exchange for those guys, including Mikkel Bridges, Cam Johnson from Phoenix, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Spencer Didwitty back to Brooklyn. Those are all solid players. None of them I would label as superstars, but all of them can easily contribute to that team. And now that they're shutting Ben Simmons down, I think that might actually help them a little bit. Nothing against Ben Simmons, but this Nets team is not going to go away where they're going to lose 5-10 in a row um, and just all of a sudden bottom out in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, they've dipped already from basically the four seed to six, but when you're four games out with 18 to go, um, the margin for error is pretty slim, and if you're the Hawks, you're 5-5 five and five in your last 10. And so if you're playing 500 basketball, you're not gaining ground really on anyone unless the other teams, you have to rely on them to lose a little bit more than they are winning. So I'm not confident in six. Obviously, I, I'm still, you know, have some faith that they can maybe leap Miami. But at this point, that's just for securing home court and the play-in and also only having to play one play-in game if they're able to win. And so, um, and it gives them the margin of error if they do lose the play-in game that they can play in another one in order to get in. So uh, for me, I uh, don't have any confidence in them making the six, um, but still have some faith here if Quinn Snyder can turn things around um, that they can jump Miami and maybe get seven. Yeah, I think what will be interesting is to continue seeing how adjustments are made. I think this is a great opportunity for us to see these game-to-game um changes especially considering they're facing the wizards in the next two matchups so it's a little bit of a quote-unquote mini series here and so i think this is a great chance for us to see not only how quinn snyder makes his adjustments but how this hawks roster as a whole is is getting better at adjusting game to game to game i think that's one of the things that we've seen them kind of struggle with a little bit in games is how they they make these changes as they move throughout the season. So they face the the Wizards in the next two games, and then they're on a back-to-back on Saturday facing, you know, the ever-hot Boston Celtics. I mean, as of of the time of recording this podcast, the Celtics have lost their last two games. I think, you know, this is an interesting time. It's hard to see, you know, the Celtics making a huge slide. They're currently second behind the Milwaukee Bucks, but... You know, it'll be it's it's going to be a tough, tough road ahead for them, um, especially because you look at the Knicks who have won their last nine. Yeah, it's it's a very competitive Eastern Conference. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not super confident that they can get into the sixth seed. But again, I think it's a great evaluation period, as we touched on with Sarah Todd for this team, particularly because they've faced their last two opponents um, twice each in their last four games. So, or in this four game stretch, excuse me. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you're not careful with the wizards, then you could be trying to just stay in playing contention or you're hovering around the ninth or 10th seed because the wizards are not too far behind you entering their, the two games uh, coming Wednesday and Friday. And then that Celtics back to back, if you're not careful and not take care of some business, then 
you could be on the wrong way with that with Toronto and Washington on your heels. So um, the schedule kind of plays in their favor a little bit. Unfortunately for them, when the Warriors come to town next weekend, Steph Curry will be back. It seems like he's coming back this week. You do face the Celtics. Um, and then, as I mentioned, you have Grizzlies at the end of the month, Cavaliers at the end of the month. Um, who knows with the Grizzlies and the John Moran situation where he'll be at that time. But there are some winnable games as well. Pistons, Spurs on there. So And these these Wizards games as well. So, again, uh, I, I think I agree with you, too. There are adjustments that have to be made. And I think everyone has to understand that now that Quinn Snyder's at the helm, that just because Quinn's there, it's not all magically going to change. You are starting to see some things, even just the way everyone is talking, the communicating, what Quinn said about Trey and DJ after their the loss on, on Friday night to, uh, or Saturday, excuse me, to Miami. Both of those guys struggled shooting-wise, but he was applauding their defensive effort in in the loss. So I think things could be changing in the good way, but um, I, I would preach patience a little bit. I know you would probably do the same. And that kind of, I think, as we talked about before the podcast, it changes the expectations a little bit of what we should expect from this Hawks team um, and where they finish in uh, the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I agree. I think there, I think there's a lot more optimism now. Obviously, you want to continue being realistic, but it's nice to see the optimism, the fight, the hustle a little bit more consistently, despite that first half on, in the first Miami game. But I think I think I'm I'm pretty optimistic about this team figuring things out but as you as we've said many times even off air or off not on this podcast but um time's running out (laughs) but we'll be here to continue watching and analyzing and, and taking a look at this team but until next week i'm lauren williams joined by daniel salerson and again thank you to sarah todd for joining us and This is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor. But I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show streaming now on AJC.com.